hello, hello. Welcome back to Legendary Africa, your number one African myth and legend podcast. Today on the show, me. Oh my god, I'm so excited. I know, right? How are you? Dude, I'm doing so well and I am so happy to talk about my new platinum award winning album. Oh my gosh, tell the people where to find it. It is found in my hippocampus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're cracked today. (laughs) I'm sorry. Always looking for new ways to start off this podcast because we have no idea how to start it. (laughs) And we shall never know. We will never have a decent intro. No, I mean, there's no like clear-cut way to do these things. Right? You know, cut us some slack. So, I'd like to announce a momentous betrayal in this house. Uh Uh-oh, is this me? Did I betray you somehow? Yep. Uh, what did I do? I have quite recently found out that apparently the Trojan horse is not part of Homer's oh original Iliad. I didn't recently find that out. I told you like three months ago. Well, I'm still processing it. It's just... It, it's not I, even that important. It's just a Trojan horse. The, uh, excuse me. The Trojan horse is the linchpin of the Ooh, entire... Nice <laughs> linchpin. It's, yeah, it's the centerpiece of the entire story. And it was, by the way, my favorite piece because it's where Odysseus shows how clever he is and they all climb out of a horse and stuff. I mean, everything else was fairly boring. I mean, it, it still happened. It was it's still in the epic cycle. It just wasn't in the Iliad. So, I mean, it's not like it didn't. I mean, it's not like it wasn't part of literature. It was. I mean, the Iliad is like, what, six books long? A- eight? Twenty-four. Twenty-four. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was multiple of eight. <laughs> yeah. In nowhere in those books could he have put in the horse. Well, that's because it ends when Hector dies. That, uh, for me, that's a very unsatisfying ending. Because you don't even know whether Troy is taken. No, well, he says he, he says so in flashbacks in the Odyssey. He went to, like, like you know how TV series works sometimes? Where it oh. starts off, like, you know, something's happening, you don't know what happens, and then they have flashbacks, and it's like, oh, that's what happened. You know, he was going for that. Oh, I see. It was kind of like previously... It was a technique. ...on the Trojan War. Exactly. (laughs) Previously in the Iliad. Well, regardless, I still feel wronged, because every, like, children's version of the Iliad that I ever read had the Trojan horse in there with the illustrations and everything. Yeah, that was nasty of them. Yeah, this is how I knew the story. Mm. I can't remember, was the Trojan horse actually in the movie Troy with Orlando Yeah, it was. You see... (laughs) Movies lie to you. I'm just (laughs) saying. Don't get facts from there. We are being misled, people. uh, Just so you know. That's why you should read the Iliad. This world is just anarchy and lies and broken dreams. It's just a horse. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, man. You know, though, what I want to know? Yeah. Is imagine if it didn't work out, eh? (laughs) Or like, they were just like, we'll set up a bonfire underneath it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, to ima- celebrate and then all these guys are just sitting there sweating <laughs> yeah imagine actually if the Trojans knew that it was a trick and they were like yeah sure we'll accept your horse and then they just sit around fire <laughs> and they're like well there's the whole Greek army dead <laughs> and everyone just glares at Odysseus <laughs> like, I blame you don't blame me I blame you <laughs> I mean he's in the horse so <laughs> I also tried to imagine like what was the seating arrangement within the belly of the horse like were they all just jumbled together or did they have tears? Like, it's not a very logical thing, because uh, for one thing, how, how fast did they bolt that horse? Like, one time, it, it was the previous night, he had this idea, and then suddenly, boom, it's there in the morning. Like, but I thought the Trojan War was like a hundred years long, though. A hundred? <laughs> <laughs> a thousand? Ten, ten years. <laughs> oh. 
I'm good with time. A hundred years. <laughs> a kid is like, I'll get you, Hector. Oh, my teeth fell out. <laughs> it is mythology. <laughs> No, okay. no, no, ten years. Well, okay, even ten years, there's enough time to bolt a giant horse. No, yeah, but they only bolted in, like, the last few days, apparently. Did they bolt it out of their ships, or, like, what happened? You know, again, <laughs> questions. Well, they had access to all the farms around Troy, so, you know, trees and stuff. Timber, I timber. I figured that maybe Athena kind of sped things along. I mean, it was her idea. Yes. Although, she didn't like the Trojans, so I guess it was perfectly acceptable. <laughs> Apollo would have been like, betrayal! <laughs> anyway, so, that's the end of my childhood. <laughs> And, uh... <laughs> didn't even form that much of a... Did it really form that much of your childhood? Um, I have to say, definitely the first myths that I grew up with... Yeah, was the Odyssey and the Iliad, I think. I think. The Iliad and the Odyssey. Whatever. No one says the Odyssey and the Iliad. It just sounds wrong, you know? Well, I'm just saying, that children's illustrated copy was well used. Mm-mm. That big one, with the hardcover. Yep. So, uh, what about you? Oh, you know, I don't feel I betrayed. No, I mean... Oh. <laughs> Because I knew. <laughs> Do you have any momentous news? Mm, not really personally, no. There's a lot of momentous news going on. Right. But everyone already knows that, so I don't feel like we should talk about that more. <laughs> yeah, I was actually looking at news headlines this morning to try and see, like, is there something cool that we can mention on the podcast? And, uh, yeah, it was just death, death, more death, coronavirus, death. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all very important and very sad, but also I feel like it's almost like being in lockdown and reading the news every day is even more crushing than before. Yeah. Because I think from around, like, 2016, we've been tracking the news on a fairly frequent basis, and it was already getting heavy, you know, following it every day. And now that there's nothing else to do but read the news... <laughs> It's it it really doesn't feel good for the psyche. Mm-mm. No, this is why I looked at secret tips for baking. Right? Yeah. Uh, is that why though? No. Or are you just constantly hungry? Yeah. <laughs> Not my fault. <laughs> I just like food. Even now, I'm thinking about lunch. So, um, if you guys haven't checked it out yet, our new YouTube video is up. It's on South African slang, we teach you a few words for you to fit in with the local crowd if you are visiting South Africa, thinking of emigrating, or, you know, already are here and have been living under a rock. Go to our YouTube channel, Legendary Africa. Please do subscribe, like, and leave us a comment just to show how much you love us. And then also, um, we've been getting some really good responses to our first episode, The Curse of the Where Hyena. Yeah, that was really great. Uh, yeah, people were very uh, interested in the idea of a were-hyena in the first place. That seems to have really gripped people. Uh, I didn't really expect, to be honest, because, I mean, I, well, I don't know, maybe it's because I did a lot of research on it, so now it's kind of old <laughs> for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not actually surprised, because I had never heard of such a thing. And, mm. um, yeah, it, you know, we, we always think of the werewolf and things like that, and it seems like a very kind of European concept, so it was very interesting to know that we have a kind of parallel here in Africa. Mm, that's true. Anyway, where hippos? Okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, yeah, thanks so much for... Um, All the support, generally. Yeah, that absolutely. That we've gotten from so many people. Yeah, and again, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening right now. And leave us a review, we really appreciate it. Also, send us emails, we're still lonely. Yeah, <laughs> we're so lonely. 
<laughs> so anyway, if you're wondering where you can do all of that, email us at staylegendarypod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at legendarypod1 and on Instagram at legendarypod. That was good. You're getting good at this. <laughs> Finally. All right, let's start off with today. Yeah. Unless you have anything um, else to say. Nope. Okay. It's your turn. I am excited. So as you probably already know, most of the famous heritage sites in Africa can be found within East Africa. No disrespect to the rest of the continent, but a lot of the most internationally well-known natural landmarks, like um, the Serengeti, the Great Rift Valley, Mount Kilimanjaro, can all be found within like two countries, actually, but also mm. within the East African area. And um, this is the site for my story today. Okay. So I'm going to uh, zoom in specifically on the Great Lakes region in East Africa, which spans a cluster of countries, Malawi, Burundi, Rwanda, Uganda, and Tanzania. Okay. So the Great Lakes themselves are worthy of note. I mean, most of them are within like the top 10 largest lakes in the world, yeah. uh, like Malawi, Lake Victoria, and so on. Um, and uh, they surround the East African Rift Valley, so that's big. <laughs> but um, what I actually want to do is uh, go back in history a little bit and talk about some of the um, early kingdoms oh, in this area. Cool. So, as you might expect, centuries ago, nation-state borders were not delineated the way they are today, right? Mm -hmm. Between the 13th and 19th centuries, the Kingdom of Bonyoro controlled the majority of Central and East Africa, including the Great Lakes region. But my story actually goes further back than the 13th century. My god. I know. <laughs> We're talking BC, baby. Oh my goodness. Ancient <laughs> history. Okay, so I'm going back to a much larger empire, of which the kingdom of Banyoro is actually just a remnant. Mm -hmm. And it is an empire of mysterious and mystical origin. Oh. The empire of Kitara. Kitara. Have you ever heard of it? No. Okay, it sounds kind of cool. Yeah, so, of course, there's a little disclaimer. All the information I have today comes to us um, through the channels of oral tradition. So, uh, you know, there's no written record of the people and places I'm about to mention at the time. So, you know, things might get a little bit confusing or contradictory, things like that. It's kind of just the nature of this sort of thing. Anyway, before its eventual fragmentation in the 13th century, the Empire of Katara, which means Empire of Light or Empire of the Sun, spanned around seven countries in Central and East Africa. The empire was ruled by the Batwezi dynasty, themselves supposed descendants of the Batembuzi dynasty. Okay. So I'm not going to go into huge specifics about the Batembuzi dynasty, since much of the mythology surrounding these people overlaps with that of their successors. But suffice to say that the Batembuzi dynasty originated with Ruhanga, known as the creator, and was passed down through several generations of kings till the reign of Isaza, son of Ngonzaki and the progenitor of the following Bakwezi dynasty. Okay. So it's, um, like, I've seen it both ways. It could be Batwezi or it could be Bakwezi. Oh, okay. Of course, as is the sort of norm with naming tribes and things, um, we can refer to the tribe as Bakwezi or just as Kwezi, like Zulu. Oh, Amazulu. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. it could be Amazulu or we could call them Zulu. Yeah. That's just the convention. Okay, where was I? Now, Isasa is said to have impregnated the daughter of Nyami Yong, a king of the underworld. The daughter? Wait, <laughs> who's the king of the underworld? Oh, uh, Nyami Yong. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah. Isasa, who is now the last uh, ruler of the Batimbuzi Empire, mm -hmm. impregnates his daughter. Okay. So, for reasons I have been unable to establish, Nyami Yong wished to enter into a blood pact with Isasa. However, the Tembuzi councillors dissuaded their king from entering into this pact, 
And so the king sent his chief minister, a commoner, in his place. Okay. <laughs> Once Nyamiyong discovered this treachery, he was naturally incensed and wished to avenge himself upon Isasa. He did this by sending his daughter, Nyamata, to court, where she instantly won the affections of the king, who, in ignorance of her true identity, married her shortly thereafter. Oh my. Right? Scandal. <laughs> Intrigue in the court. <laughs> However, Nyamata could not persuade King Isasa to visit her father's home, as the king was reluctant to be separated from his cattle. Okay. And just FYI, this guy was crazy about cows. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, seriously. He was a cow nut. Mm. So, uh, Nyamiyong, the king of the underworld, was forced to concoct another scheme to ensnare his enemy. He let two of his prized cattle be found near King Isaza's kraal, which, um, by the way, those who don't uh, already know, a kraal is basically a circular cattle enclosure, usually located um, within a village of huts. Anyway, so these cows became the king's favorites, so when they disappeared one day, he immediately went off in search of them, mm -hmm. leaving his kingdoms in the hand of his chief minister, Bukaku. Oh boy. Now, Isasa found his beloved cattle, but where were they? In the underworld, along mm -hmm. with his pregnant wife. So were they dead? Or they were just no, alive? No, I mean, I, I assume they're undead cows. Okay. okay. I mean, they are underworld cows. Oh, yeah. True, true. <laughs> so once he entered the underworld, he was now basically within the realm of Nyamiyong and not able to return to the realm of men. Oh, I see, okay. So kind of like Persephone, except with cows. Oh, he didn't eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm here for my cows. <laughs> so, I mean, I personally think, considering how much this man loved cows and his wife in that order, <laughs> uh, it didn't sound like a really bad deal for him. Mm. Like, the only issue is that, uh, you know, he abandoned his kingdom. Right, yeah. But... That said, uh, Nyamata bore him a son named Isimbwa, and Isimbwa would go on to father the first king of the Batwezi. Okay. So, <laughs> I think I'm with you. <laughs> you have to just bear with me here. There's like quite a long lineage. Mm. But actually, this is where the story begins. Mm -hmm. So if you've already fallen asleep by this point, <laughs> and I could totally understand that, I just hope that I'm feeding into your subconscious and you're just having like... Cow dreams. The craziest <laughs> dreams. Undead zombie cows. Undead zombie cows. <laughs> okay. So let's introduce the Bachwezi, which is the heroes of our story. They were the storied rulers of the Empire of Kitara, apparently from as far back as 10,000 BC oh, to okay. 1,580, <laughs> and, some say, a race of demigods. Oh ho. In fact, the people of Rwanda and Burundi refer to the Bachwezi as Evimanuka, which means people who landed as gods. Okay. And I think this makes quite a lot of sense, considering that the entire line of Patrese are descended from um, underworld beings, because okay. Nyamata is the okay. mother of the line. Right. Now, the Patrese are known either as demigods or extraterrestrials oh. due to their unusual appearance and supernatural abilities. Interesting. Yeah, they were said to be very tall, either with dark brown skin, or as described in one folktale by C.C. Wrigley, as very light-skinned with oddly shaped heads. Oh, okay. So yeah, you can kind of see the extraterrestrial mm -hmm. angle there. I think it it depends on, you know, what you believe. So although the Matresi were basically humanoid in appearance, however, they had some super funky superpowers that far exceeded those of a normal human being. Okay. I mean, they are basically all the X-Men in one. Ooh, nice. They have, get ready for this, telepathy. Okay. Teleportation. Telekinesis. All the tellies. Telephones. Nope. <laughs> Not telephones. Uh, clairvoyance. Oh. 
So, in other words, they could read minds, they could uh, teleport anywhere they wanted, they could move objects with their minds, and they could see the future. So a lot of mind power going on, yeah? Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely very top-heavy. Yeah, <laughs> it must have been the big weird heads. <laughs> Um, and their possession of these abilities is actually kind of evidenced in folklore in several ways. So for one, their ability to teleport instantly to far-off locations has been cited as an explanation for why this race of people also pops up in a lot of folklore in other parts of Africa. So for example, um, the folklore of the Ife of West Africa and the San of Southern Africa, mm-hmm. uh, they also have instances of the Botswezi, which doesn't really make sense if you think about the enormity of the continent like how would these uh, this race of people be found all over africa yeah so the only explanation as far as folklore is concerned is that well they could just teleport anywhere they wanted to oh right right <laughs> for another it's believed by some <laughs> that the twezi are actually responsible for the construction of the pyramids uh-huh. since their abilities would have made it possible to manipulate and transport the enormous stone blocks that form these ancient wonders. At last we know. Right? <laughs> I mean, some even believe that the Chwezi possessed this really advanced ancient technology that allowed them to slice the crude rock into um, definite shapes, into the blocks that were necessary to build the pyramids. I'm with it. So, I mean, you Sounds know, good. I feel like if you can believe that aliens built the pyramids, you can believe that it was the Chwezi. Yeah. Why not? I like it. Yeah, they just zipped over to the Nile, built up a few pyramids, and were like, later. Just for fun. (laughs) It's like, oh my gosh, we like this shape. In in terms of the advanced technology, uh, the way people explain us not having that today is that it was lost in the style of Atlantis and things like that. Now, if all of that wasn't enough to impress you, they do have yet another power. The Tresi were also apparently able to levitate. Okay. And this skill was supposedly passed down through generations, closely held by the Karagwe and Gisaka people of Rwanda, until the secret was lost in the 1980s. So recent. We're talking thousands of years. <laughs> As you might expect, the story behind this is that those who practiced levitation were routed by evangelical Christian immigrants, mm. or as some may call them, colonialists, who hunted the Rwandese people that uh, were able to levitate because they thought they were practicing witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last people to hold the secret of levitation were supposedly killed in the Rwandan genocide of 1994, which, by the way, is a very real and dark event in history, and I advise that if anyone is uh, not too familiar with that, they should definitely go check it out. Another notable feature of Chwezi culture is their introduction of long-horned and colic cows to the Great Lakes area. I don't know, have you ever seen a picture of these guys? I think I might know which one you're talking about. but They I'm have sure. really, really big horns. Yeah, they're coming out this way, right? Not sideways? Um, sideways? No, yeah, it's kind of like, it's a little bit like bison horns. Oh, okay. But more uh, square in shape okay. and, and uh, more tapered at the end. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, these cows, man. I don't even know how they hold all of that up. <laughs> it's insane. Neck muscles. <laughs> so, um, in the present day, Ankola uh, cows are actually native to Uganda. And as a little fun fact, the incumbent president of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, mm. actually owns and breeds these particular cows. Mm. He was gifted like 42 of them by the president of Uganda in 2004. Okay. And 42, that's such a weird number. Uh, well, it's the secret to life, the universe, and everything. Oh, yeah, that's true. 
<laughs> with code yeah but it's kind of a fun story because apparently you're not allowed to transport those cows directly across to south africa so he had to like send the cows to kenya artificially inseminate them there and mm-hmm. then like ship the embryos over <laughs> to south oh, africa what? <laughs> i don't know it was quite a process but interesting bottom line is he's actually one of the only breeders of those cows in south africa Anyway, <laughs> getting back to the actual mythology. So, in addition to cattle herding, the Batrezi also enjoyed archery, mm-hmm. javelin throwing, and wrestling, as well as a board game called Omwiso, which is a two-player game involving sort of uh, collecting handfuls of seeds and dropping seeds into various wooden cups that I are like carved Mankala. out of a board. Yeah, absolutely. So, some may know the game by the term Mankala. Oh. As far as I can understand, Mankala is actually kind of a generic term for the I game, so, yeah. and and um, there are specific names for this game all over Africa yeah. where it's played. But like, yeah, it's kind of a ubiquitous board game. Now, despite their cattle breeding prowess, the Tracy were actually mainly vegetarian. Okay. They kept the cattle from milk. And they were also pacifists. So oh. instead of engaging in battle, usually they would just teleport away from conflict. I mean, cool. Yeah, they were. I mean, they were perfectly able to fight. They were very strong people and so forth. They just weren't particularly, you know, bloodthirsty. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the collapse of the Katara Empire now. As you may expect from the general overarching theme of this entire story, the fall of the empire hinged on the death of a cow. Of course. <laughs> Full circle. So it was prophesized that a sacred cow named Bihogo would die at some point, as cows do, mm-hmm. and that this would signal the beginning of the end for the Katara Empire. Okay, so they just don't name a cow. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> just don't name the cow. Just... Yeah. It's... And they won't know, right? <laughs> it's true. It does seem to be and like a good that. way to get rid of it. But... It's like, oh, cow number five died. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that this was a cow that had already been named. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe it was just compulsory to name cows Bihogo every few centuries. It's in case. It's in case this is the one. <laughs> it's in case this is the end, guys. <laughs> but anyway, sure enough, after the cow kicked the uh, milk bucket, yeah, nice. as it were, the Luo people from the north invaded, led by Isingoma Rukidi Mpuga. Mm-hmm. And at this time, the empire had already been weakened by famine and disease, so um, the Luo managed to successfully pretty much break up the empire into smaller kingdoms. Again. Um, so I gather that either they were too weak to be mm. able to do these things and to kind of defend themselves, or the thing is that if they did teleport away, they're basically ceding their land to the Luo. Like mm. this is one time where they had to defend it or lose their home, oh, okay. their entire empire. Yeah. So yeah, the empire broke up into smaller kingdoms, and one of these kingdoms was the Banyoro Kitara kingdom that I mentioned before. Oh, I see, I see, okay. So that's basically the story of the empire of Kitara. Uh, there's just a little bit more I want to talk about. That's the connection between the Trezi and uh, witchcraft oh. in present day. Now, according to the Sukuma people of the Great Lakes region, followers of ancient Trezi religion... Or um, the source that I looked at technically referred to it as the Trezi cult, but I don't want it to seem disrespectful or try to speak of this in a derogatory way because I think that this is considered a religion. So the Sukuma people refer to those who follow the Trezi religion as Balogi, which means witches. Okay. So these people are associated with dark, sometimes perverse magic and extreme secrecy, and also as the purveyors of cursed items. However, even though like there's this kind of sinister uh, tilt to them, 
The Balogi are also respected and eminent healers, and they conduct their healing rituals in secret at night. So I think, as in uh, many religions slash cults, the Balogi believe that sick individuals are afflicted by angry spirits, and so the healing process actually involves deliberately getting the sick person possessed by a spirit. Oh. And then the Balogi, who can communicate with the dead, and you get the connection because they're descended right, from, 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 the sp- dead. Like, <laughs> from the underworld yeah. uh, beings. So they communicate with the spirit and they kind of find out, like, you know, what's going on, dude? What's your problem? Why are you bothering <laughs> the sick person? Okay, yeah. And that's kind of how they affect the whole healing process. Okay. Um, all in all, this process takes about five days. Oh, gosh. And, um, you know, it's accompanied by various songs and dances, etc., etc. And during this process, sometimes other participants can also become possessed by well, what's known as ancestral spirits. Okay. So this is considered to be like a very prestigious event because if you're possessed by the spirit of your ancestor, that means that you take on like supernatural powers and things mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, I, I can imagine, you know, if you are possessed by the Bachwezi, it must be a truly transcendental experience. <laughs> yeah. So this only happens at night though. So five nights. So I gather they do it at night because the entire thing is super secret, secret and yeah. it's, it's not supposed to be revealed to anyone outside the religion. Mm. And it's actually the secrecy that has contributed to people seeing them as kind of sinister beings because or witches. You can't understand it, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, possibly also the connection to the underworld, cursed mm. items, all those kinds of things. Yeah. Kind of gives them that reputation. But, I mean, when they're needed for healing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that is the story of the Empire of Kitara. Wow, that was so cool. My sources were ancientorigins.net. Ah, my favorite. org mm-hmm. and Wikipedia. Very nice. Man, I wish I had teleportation. So if you had to choose one from telepathy, teleportation, telekinesis, and clairvoyance, what would you I go for? I think teleportation. Because, look, I definitely don't want to read people's minds all the time. Or even if I could control it. It's a very uncomfortable ability. Mm-hmm. I feel like people would definitely not like you that much. <laughs> I mean, useful, but no. Um, being able to move things with your mind is pretty cool. But imagine how fat I would get. Yeah, you see, that would be my number one, <laughs> because I am 100% always too lazy to get up and get things, so yeah, I'd be like, telekinesis. Like, imagine all the things you probably missed out on, if you just, I don't know, summon it or something. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like teleportation, because then you could literally go anywhere you want, I assume. Unless, <laughs> other than you, I'd probably like, accidentally teleport into the Atlantic Ocean. I'd be like, <laughs> okay, wrong one, wrong one. <laughs> we just leave like half your body behind. Okay, is that a thing that can happen? (laughs) My legs are back in Ghana. (laughs) God damn it. Okay, I'm back. Oh, wait, there's my other leg. Someone stole my leg. (laughs) I mean, not to mention, you can't be teleporting anywhere right now because you'd be spreading coronavirus (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) Wow, imagine how hard it'd be to quarantine people if they could teleport. Yeah, yo. (laughs) You'd have to have teleportation police. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've always wondered whether I would be able to create teleportation at some point. Like, as you say, portals, I can do that. I mean, I think it might be possible. I, I saw a, um, I think it was a Neil deGrasse Tyson lecture mm-hmm. about it. And the audience member asked whether we could travel to different galaxies. And he was like, lady... Wait, right now? <laughs> no, no, like, you know, in oh, the near oh, future. Okay. And he was like, lady, do you know how big our actual galaxy is? We, like, just traveling within our galaxy. We're going to travel to another planet. It's big. But yeah, the whole um, theory of like um, hyperspace and light speed and all of that is that instead of actually traveling to a destination so many galaxies away, mm. 
you actually contort the fabric of time and space such that you bring the destination closer Closer. to you. Mm. I feel like that's a terrible idea. It's kind of like if you have a a marble or something on a tablecloth, instead of reaching for the marble, you kind of are like just bunching up the tablecloth until it comes closer. See, and that's how you get holes. (laughs) Why would you get holes? Tearing the fabric, you know? You're not Pulling tearing. the tablecloth, what if you pull it in a tear? You're stretching and, and stretching warping. It, warping, and then there's holes and there's tear. You know what, never mind. Let's not do this. Odds are wormholes occur naturally anyway naturally. from the processes of star deaths and things. Yeah, but then if we start creating them, which I don't know. Well, space anyway. Space is crazy. This has become a space podcast. <laughs> Stay spacey. <laughs> Stay spacey. <laughs> Anyway, but that was really cool. Thanks, man. Alright, so we'll be back with your story momentarily. Indeed. Hello, legendary listeners. My name is Tanner, and I am the host of Monster Legend Podcast. What is Monster Legend Podcast, you may ask? It is a weekly podcast about cryptozoology and folklore of all the spooky cryptids out there. Every Monday at noon, we'll go to a different place and talk about all the monsters and legends of that area. I'll talk about stories, reports, and tell a bad joke. So, I hope you'll join me every week. You may find Monster Legend Podcast on monsterlegendpodcast.com. First, though, I hope you enjoy this episode of Legendary. And remember, every week, everywhere, cryptids on Monster Legend Podcast. Alright, so I am going to be talking about Takane. The dragon slaying princess from South African mythology. <gasps> dragon slaying princess! Indeed, this myth has everything you want. Oh, I'm so glad you're going last now because it's gonna end so well. Oh, it, it started really well too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so um, this myth originates with the uh, Basoto people of Lesotho and South Africa. So the Basoto people are a Bantu ethnic group of Southern Africa who speak Sesotho. Bantu-speaking peoples inhabited South Africa by about 500 CE, I think. And by the 19th century, many Basoto kingdoms covered the areas now known as the Free State and Gauteng. Right. During the 1820s, both the Amazulu, uh, another Bantu ethnic group, and actually the largest ethnic group in South Africa, and the Boers, who were descendants of the proto-Afrikaans-speaking settlers of the Eastern Cape frontier, displaced the Basoto people. Right. So it was the combined, I mean, not combined forces, they were acting separately, mm-hmm. but they were able to displace them. After this, Moshosho I, a prominent chief from the Bamokoteli sub-clan of the Basoto people, established the nation of the Basoto. So what he did is that he, before he was around, the Basoto people sort of existed in separate um, groups, right? sort of all ruling individually. Mm-hmm. So he came in because of the dangers from the Amazulu and the Boers, he decided to unite all the clans together to become one powerful force. Right. I think this actually happened um, fairly often in history whenever mm-hmm. there was an external threat. Yeah, I mean, it makes it makes sense stronger together. Yeah. Um, so he merged the various Basoto groups, and for that it became known as Morena e Moholo, which means Great King. Right. Um, now, this guy was... He was really intelligent and progressive for the time, he decided that the best way to protect his people from both the Amazulu expansion, the Boers, and the impending arrival of Imperial Britain, he decided he needed to equip himself with knowledge of the non-African world. 
So he actually entered into arrangements with French missionaries who provided him with guns and served as foreign advisors. Oh, interesting. Mm. So French missionaries working in opposition to the British? Yeah, so I, I don't, I suppose technically, yes, they are working in opposition. But I don't know how it works with missionaries, whether they see themselves kind of as separate to everything. <laughs> um, Where they're not on either side, but they're, they're helpers. I don't know if that's how it works. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I'm not in any way kind of au fait with this sort of thing. But I was kind of under the impression that missionaries were often sent as a kind of um, prelude to colonialism. Like, they were yeah. sent there to indoctrinate the local people in, their religion, in yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Christianity or um, Islamism or whatever it was. Mm. And then that kind of... Yeah, which, which did happen here. So after this, um, there was a huge rise in Catholicism and stuff like that. But um, I, so I don't think the missionaries <laughs> provided the guns, but they were able to form connections for Mashosho mm. to to get this, um, and so they advised him on like who these people were that were coming, what he should do, how they work. So he engaged in several battles with the Boers during what is called the Free State Basotho Wars, and in 1869 he actually appealed to Queen Victoria, and she granted his request to make the area now known as Lesotho a protectorate, so um, that's an autonomous area under a high so- higher sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So what happened there is that the local chieftains retained their own power, but Britain was responsible for foreign affairs and the defense of the area. Right. So now he's going into, he's going into um, diplomatic relations with Britain. Okay, so he's playing both the French and the Brit- British. Yeah, he's, he's apparently very famed for his diplomacy, so I think he was, he was trying to avoid as much as possible conflict. Right, sure while still maintaining some degree of power and control. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose look, he just wanted to serve his people, so it made sense. Right, and then there's the, the Amazulu and the Boers in the middle of all this Basically, as well. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so he decided that he was going to go with the most powerful. Yeah, I mean, smart. Mm. So actually, this in, so this ensured that neither the Boer forces nor the Amazulu could defeat the Basoto nation. And in 1966, Basoto gained independence from Britain and became the kingdom of Basoto. Oh. So only in 1966, which is pretty um, recent. It, yeah, but it kind of fits in with the rest of uh, African history, if you mm. think about it. I think uh, Tanzania gained independence in 1961. Okay. And, um, well, uh, we gained independence before that, I think. Yeah. yeah. But, but like there was, a, oh. there was an entire slew of countries yeah. that um, were becoming independent of British forces at this time. Yeah, so th- that was, so, um, for anyone who doesn't know, Lesotho is, what do you call it when the country is uh, surrounded by... So it's a landlocked country within yeah. South Africa. It's quite a small region, relatively speaking, but Lesotho, or Lesotho, <laughs> Lesotho yeah. and Swaziland are two landlocked countries within South Africa. It's really interesting, actually, when you look at the map. It's it's literally this independent country inside South Africa. Like It's, it's very strange. I don't think there's many like that. I mean, it's like the Vatican. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> an interesting analogy. You know what I'm saying? It's not like the. Vatican. I mean, not like that, but you know what I'm saying in terms of being independent and landlocked. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so that was just a bit of history on the Basoto people. So the myth of Takane comes from them, and this is how it goes. So Takane was the oldest child of a powerful chief, and she has two younger brothers. Now, at some point, Takane's father died and left her in charge of raising her brothers, which I can only imagine must have been somewhat torturous, (laughs) because um, she had to do literally everything for these boys. She ground the corn that makes the porridge. 
she would clean and cook their meat. She'd fill clay pots of water so they wouldn't have to drink from the spring like all the other people. Wow. Mm-hmm. They were pretty spoke brats. Um, and then when they were old enough, she had to take them up the mountain to a like a training school right. for them to become grown-ass men. And they're no longer boys. And this is something that the father should have been doing, but she fooled in for him instead. And her mother and all uh, of this? You know, she's not really mentioned in the myth, so... Typical. <laughs> So there her brother stayed for five months until they were ready to be declared men. And this is when the uh, shit kind of hit the fan. So Takane brought them skin shields, weapons, and clothes, which were necessary to cement their claim to manhood. Unfortunately, the boys weren't very uh, impressed with the clothes and equipment she bought, and um, demanded clothes and shields made out of the skin of a nana bolele. What is that? So in Basoto myth, nana bolele is a dragon-like creature which lives beneath the water, its body giving off light like some kind of glow stick, <laughs> and always appearing rather dramatically in a cloud of red smoke. What the hell? <laughs> so, so think Evil Toothless from Hydrangea Dragon Underwater Edition. Oh. You know, like glowing, appearing in a puff of smoke. I mean, I'm into it. I'm into it. Okay. It's a kind of maleficent thing. But uh, I'm sorry, they need to have shields made of this They need it. Thing. They don't understand. They need it. They can't just have animal skins uh-uh. like uh-uh. every other ancestor Because of they're his. not like everyone else. Wow. They're the boys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So now, these dragons weren't easy to kill. Firstly, they're extremely aggressive creatures who could bite off your head without a, you know, a thought. And secondly, they live underwater, so how the hell was she supposed to get to them? Right. So that's exactly what she said. She was like, how, how am I supposed to just magic up some nanobolele skin? You know, what do you expect from me? So her brothers would not budge, and guess what they did? They played the dad card. They oh. were like, if dad was here, he would have gotten us the nanobolele skin. <laughs> so she was like, you know what? Wow. Like, dude, it's a dragon hide, not an Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> but dad would have gotten it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but dad would have probably made them get it themselves. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what's the point of all this fucking training if they need their sister to single-handedly go slay a dragon? Right? So I can only imagine that she briefly contemplated booting them both off the mountain. <laughs> um, but after saying that look, she actually loves her brothers and it's family tradition and she wanted to uphold their honor, she decided to try to find this dragon and kill it. This woman is a saint. Right? I would have booted them off. Anyway. So Takane called together a council and asked for the bravest of the brave to join her on her search for Nana Bolele. The whole council was like, uh, say what now? <laughs> are you are you okay? Are you in your right mind? And so they all called her crazy and she pulled the dad card. She was like, look, if my dad, if my was, dad here, was here, he would have wanted you all to come on the stupid dragon hunting mission exactly. with me. <laughs> no, she was like, look, if my dad was here, he would have made sure that he gotten the best of the best skins for his sons. Uh-huh. It's tradition. <laughs> so they were like, ah, fine. So having successfully guilt-tripped her entire council, <laughs> the bravest warriors were picked and sent with her on her quest. Now, since there wasn't a convenient how to catch a nanobolele without dying manual, she had to kind of improvise and figure it out as she went. This involved visiting all the streams in the area, singing a very nanobolele-centric song, and throwing the backsides of oxes into said streams. Just the backsides? Just the backs. So they found very strange. It's like, here's an ox bum. I think Please maybe... Please come to me. <laughs> it was the stink. <laughs> and the dragons liked it or something. I don't know Tally Shaw here. She didn't say it. <laughs> also, she visited all the streams? All the streams. Wow. Okay. She was dedicated. She was like, I'm going to get this skin. 
And then she can just shove her brother's face in it. (laughs) Do we know how many brothers she had? Just two. Oh, okay. So it's not like she had to, you know, hunt down more than one of these dragons. No, I think she just needed to get a very big one. Okay. Because they wanted, uh, both wanted shield and skin. Just one Just dragon. one. Just, just one. Just one tiny dragon. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, also, she did all this in an attempt to draw the dragon out from the stream. So, the first stream she went to, instead of a dragon, a frog popped out. Good enough. Use that. <laughs> <laughs> you need about mm, 100 frogs. <laughs> like, no, no, I promise you, it's dragon skin. It's dragon skin. Look at these scales. <laughs> um, so, the frog popped out and opening its mouth told them to go sing at the next stream. Okay. <laughs> which is now that the frogs can talk now, and that's normal, and we should just accept it and move on. I've accepted it. Okay. That, okay. that is not the weirdest part of the story for me. <laughs> I'm still on the ox hide. The ox backside. <laughs> um, so Takane and her group moved on to the next stream and performed the same ritual. Another frog popped up, popped up and was like, these aren't the nanobolelis you're looking for, move along. So Takane and her warriors continued on and on with the same result, until they came to literally the very last river. They did the same as before, only this time they decided to throw in the entire ox. You I think they were kind of like, you know what, just chuck that whole thing in. Yeah, I mean, it's the last one, might as well get rid of it. What are they going to do with just an uh, ox midriff or whatever? Yeah, I actually wonder, they must have been carrying quite a few of those around now. Just like ox heads. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the waters churned, and up popped... An anabolere. An old woman. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> She, uh, the old woman was leaning on her stick and told the group to follow her, which I definitely would not have done, because, I mean, so, like, you know all those anime movies that we used to watch? Yeah. The old ladies usually always sinister? Yeah. I like, mean, don't follow them. Old ladies, <laughs> look, no disrespect to old ladies out there, <laughs> but any of them popping out of woods, rivers, yeah. caves, it's never good news, Mm-mm. okay? They want to eat you. Or they want to possess you, or I mean, they want to do some shit. I mean, the old lady in, uh, what's the thing? Sleeping Beauty. Hansel and Gretel. Snow White. Rapunzel. Wow, there's a lot of them. <laughs> right, so, but anyway. So, kind of was like, you know what? I have nothing else left now. <laughs> All my oxes are gone. I can't go back home. So, she uh, followed her. And so, they followed her into the stream. Into, actually, this river. Okay. Underwater. Right. <laughs> so the old lady led them into a seemingly deserted underwater village in which they could all somehow breathe. Sure. Because this is a myth and sure, sure, frogs sure. talk and, you know... It's, People breathe underwater. It's all normal. So this old lady explained that the Nanabolele had come to a village here and eaten all the inhabitants of the village, sparing no one and nothing, except for her, because she was so old her flesh was too tough for the dragons to chew. Uh, excuse you. <laughs> I'm just like... Convenient. Convenient. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, you know I'm saying? I'm suspicious. Oh, what if the old lady is an anabole? Oh, like some kind of Nagini ship? Yeah. But, like, but the little bag shot actually becomes a snake? The snake is in the mm-hmm. old lady, mm-hmm. so the dragon is in the lady. Right? Oh, my God. Uh, but no, actually. Damn it. So the dragon had enslaved her. And um, now Takane is freaking out because she's like, well, shit, we just walked into a trap. This old lady's going to like give us to the dragons. Yeah, she could have mentioned that before she took them into the stream. <laughs> hey, look, to be honest, Takane didn't ask any questions. <laughs> that was really a bad idea. Um, but actually it turned out that the old lady um, went, on to, went on to say that she heard Takane singing. And she thinks that Takane must have some serious balls to want to try to fight an animal. And she respects that. So she's going to help her. Okay. Mm. 
What is she gonna do? Knit her a sweater? Okay, listen. <laughs> All ladies are very industrious and creative. And you know, they have they scheme. They scheme. They're schemers. They're schemers. <laughs> you know, they can come up with stuff. So actually what she does is she ha- she finds her a husband. <laughs> I've decided to marry you to the Nanapolin. <laughs> That way, you can all live in harmony, and when you're done, you can kill him. <laughs> she hides them in a, um, a huge hole and covers it with reeds uh, so that when the nun and Balili arrive, they can't see them, they can't find them. Oh, hold on. Police siren. Oh. Teleportation police! <laughs> they found out somebody has been illegally teleporting to Mali. Oh, nice weather there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Carry on. So the dragons arrived, um, and they were they dived into the village, and they were very tired because they spent the whole day eating people. And as you know, eating is very tiring. And they were about to sleep when they smelt a bad smell. <laughs> it's all them ox butts. <laughs> no, no, it was man flesh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so they were busy sniffing the ground and searching the village. And they asked the old lady, like, what is this? Where are you keeping these people? And he just remained silent. So... They decided that, that they were going to sleep on it and find the people in the morning. Which actually turned out to be their doom. Oh. Because while the dragons were sleeping, the old woman let Takane out, and she crept up to the biggest Nanibolele she could find and slaughtered it while they were sleeping. Wait, how? With what? Um, I presume with her spear, knife, yeah. sword. Okay. Some other pointy device. <laughs> I mean, she seemed to know how to kill this thing, this mm. mythical creature that she'd never seen before. I mean, what I want to know is how did she manage to kill one and not wake up any of the others? Must have been a spear right between the eyes. Ooh. I don't know. I would thought maybe, like, cut the throat. I imagine it must have a pretty um, thick hide all over its body, though. You'd have to get mm. some sort of soft, fleshy part, like an eye or an true, ear. True, true. I mean, I kind of imagine them to be similar to... Like, uh, <laughs> what's this thing? Sakasukas. <laughs> you know? The dinosaur. Because these aren't fire-breathing winged dragons. Oh, okay. I They're see. underwater scaly weirdos. So I'm thinking, you know. So maybe like big crocodiles. Mm-mm. So don't they have a fleshy part by their neck? No idea. Never tried know. to kill a crocodile. <laughs> um. Anyway, so she killed, managed to kill the biggest one that she could find and skinned it while the rest were sleeping. Now, before they left, the old woman gave Takane a small pebble which she claimed would transform into a large mountain, too high for the dragons to climb up and catch them. Because she said that now, once they wake up and find that, you know, that one of them are missing, they're going to come after them. So Takanya thanked the old woman and gave her an entire ox in gratitude. She just had oxes coming out of her just, ear. Yeah, you know, it's very cow-themed today. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, cows are very important. It's true, yeah, in yeah. Africa. But I just find it funny, like, was she just hiding an ox in her satchel? Know, yeah. <laughs> like, she, t- she went under a stream, so this cow can also breathe underwater. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing. Also, I don't know, like, how, what's a cow going to eat? Seaweed? <laughs> cows are it's going to love. It's a sea cow. It's a sea cow. <laughs> So they started running for their lives. By the next morning, the Nani Balele had caught up to the group, and Takani was forced to throw the pebble to the ground, and they managed to escape on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't matter, the dragons tried to climb over and over up the mountain, but eventually they grew tired and fell asleep at the bottom. Again, kind of dumb. Falling asleep was the, was a bad idea in the first place. <laughs> now they're doing it again. Yeah, not too bright, these dragons. Mm-mm. So now I'm not sure if there was an off switch on the pebble or how she managed to shrink it down. I thought maybe it'd be like opposite effect of, you know, like that person in, in, in Alice in Wonderland. 
Oh right, right. Where she ate it and she grew she grew bigger, but maybe now she like the pebble on it Ew. decreased or something. I don't know. <laughs> she just like licks the mountain top until it gets smaller. <laughs> so it got back to regular pebble size and they all ran off while the creatures were still sleeping. Now this happened several times until they finally arrived back at the village. Here Tekanya called all the dogs of the village to her and set them on the dragons, who were apparently allergic to dogs or just terrified for some reason of these small little puppies. These are turning out to be some shit-ass dragons. Right? I have to say, they're not as aggressive as I thought. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I kind of like crocodile fight, you know, versus beagle. <laughs> Who's gonna win? <laughs> so, um, the dragons turned tail and left. Takane was at last able to make the clothes and shields for her brothers out of the skin and presented it to them. Her brothers were overjoyed with their new shiny outfits and presented their sister with... A necklace. A hundred cattle! Oh, <laughs> more cows. Okay, so I actually underestimated them. I thought it was going to be something lame, but a hundred cattle is no, not yeah. bad. I mean, it's a lot, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I find it funny, though, because surely the cows already kind of belong to her because they're all in the one kingdom. So they're like, guess what we have? Your own cows. Mm, so, well, now that they're of age, she's no longer the leader of the... Oh, naturally. You know, of the village. Oh, of now course. they're taking over. <laughs> So, um, but apparently they gave her a hundred cows and her own place to kind of rule over. Alright, so bad, she kind of, bad. you know, she got a pretty okay deal. Although still, I feel like they should have done all this. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yeah, so in gratitude for what she had done. So it was said that they were very, very pleased with the clothes, but they were overwhelmed with gratitude for her. So like, well, it's kind of sweet Look at the them. End. Not as big of a jerk as they could have been. <laughs> right? So yeah, that's the tale of Takane, the dragon slaying princess. That is so awesome. Thanks. Sorry, I've forgotten at this point which uh, region of Africa you said. South Africa, right? Um, South Africa and Lesotho. Okay. So it's from the Basotho people, this, this myth. That's awesome. So over there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have never heard of that. Yeah, I didn't actually. Um, Actually, myths and, the Myths and Legends podcast mm-hmm. um, did an episode about this. I think it's called Crocodile Tears. Okay. So if anyone wants to go hear how they did it, I didn't actually listen to it, but I think they did They did one of the episodes. So for my references, I actually got most of this from a book by Kathleen Reagan called Fearless Girls, Wise Women, and Beloved Sisters, Heroines and Folktales from Around the World. Ooh, that sounds like my kind of book. Right, yeah. And then obviously mythology.net, and also a really cool site called rejectedprincess.com. <laughs> So this is pretty cool. It's this the the writer. She, um, she it's a really great fun site. She writes stories of women. I think it's both historical and mythological. Uh-huh. In an entertaining and informative, and I kind of want to say feminist perspective because she really brings their perspective forward. And also she does illustrations of each one. Oh. So if you guys want to go see what she imagines Takane to look like, go to rejectedprincesses.com. Um, and then of course Wikipedia for the general information about the sort of people. Wow. Oh, really cool, man. Thanks. All right. So I was just excited that there were dragons in our <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> it's again like this weird intersection of European and African mythology, mm. and you really wonder like, what came first? Did they happen at the, the same time? The dragons came first. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I suppose it makes sense that everyone is interested in gigantic dinosaurs. It's like, they just look at lizards and they're like, what if this was really, really big? <laughs> what if it could eat me? <laughs> I mean, I look at birds and I'm like, what if you were pterodactyl size? <laughs> Pigeons, don't trust them. There was that time, actually, when um, I was sitting in my room and an ibis just casually walked in. What? Yeah, you know, uh, Hadira. 
Yeah. Yeah. Wait, here? No, not here. Oh. <laughs> in like, Devon. Did you just walk in? <laughs> in Devon, like, yeah, so we have, like, a sliding door on ground level. And it just strolled in, you know, <laughs> at its own pace. And I saw this thing, like, <laughs> it, it walked into view, you know, just outside the doorway. Mm. And I swear to God, I had, like, this primal fear. <laughs> I felt like the smallest little prehistoric mammal. <laughs> That like, you know, I don't know, a T-Rex ever existed in the Jurassic period. Yeah, and I was just like, "This is the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I might as well just roll over and pretend to be dead." Like, yeah, this fucking giant bird is gonna kill me. <laughs> it's it's their beaks. It's yeah. just that it's very very long and pointed. Not like it's not like a soft pigeon or like uh, what's this thing like a parrot even where it's colorful and it's pretty. But these things are disgusting. Yeah. They've got these sharp claws. I mean, they can carry away small but, um, dogs, actually. Not that they really? would. Because, I mean, they're not meat eaters. But, I mean, apparently they are strong enough to do that. Wow. That's intense. I didn't know that. I mean, like puppies. Uh, but, but, yeah. Still, it's a yeah. whole dog. Yeah. No, no. Parrots are vicious. Although nothing is as vicious as the mighty goose. Oh, yeah. Geese. Sure. No way. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, thanks for that. That was a great story. Super. We will be back on Monday with a brand new episode. And uh, we'll have a new YouTube video coming out one of the Wednesdays, either next week or the week after. So if you're not subscribed, you'll miss it. So hit subscribe. <laughs> and um, yeah, other than that, if we have nothing else to say. <laughs> I think that is it. I mean, you already told people to find us, follow us, yeah. just say hi. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, if you are a podcaster out there, please do get in touch, uh, send us your promos, you know, hit, hit us up if you want to collab or anything like that. We're always open to um, learning from other podcasters, promoting other podcasters and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, until next time, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye.